a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Welcome listeners to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Today I'm joined by a gentleman from England in the United Kingdom by the name of Keith Daniel. Keith, a very, very warm welcome to you. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Very good. And Keith, we've had a little bit of a, a chat off here, as, as is our way. And one of the things that we, we feel is very important is to talk about communication and more specifically, the working title of Communicate with Impact or Be ignored. So as part of your role, Keith, as an international personal development expert, and you help businesses and individuals communicate with impact, what what does this really mean? Communicate with impact or be ignored? Well, if we think before this virus visit, we would have talked to people about handshakes in most part of the world not 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 in all parts of the world we would have talked about all sorts of other episodes with regards to body language and and power and 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 dynamics when it came to interactions the new normal whatever that ends up being like may change and adjust some of that but what i do think remains the same is the importance of communicating effectively and if we actually want to make a difference, then we need to have the ability to, to make an impact. And that doesn't mean shouting. And I often say to people, the gentle voice is the strongest. But what it does mean is that communication, I think, is going to be more important than ever. We're going to get used to this sort of thing, talking across a thousand miles or whatever we need to get used to working remotely with video screens because i don't think that will go away whatever happens in the future but most importantly people generally communicate really well until they're under pressure otherwise they wouldn't have relationships they wouldn't have friends they wouldn't in the old days when we used to be able to go to the pub or the coffee shop and, and sit down and have a drink with friends we did it correctly we got it right that's why we had friends but and this is where my role often comes in these days, put people under pressure, whether it's a, a pitch or a workshop or a seminar or, a, or an interview for a job or for other purposes, people's nervousness, perhaps, people's slight worry comes through and what they do correctly most of the time breaks down and then that creates certainly an impression that isn't as good as it could be. So what we need to do is maximise in most interactions the ability to create the best possible impression that we can because 
that matters if we're going to communicate effectively. As I say, we get it right most of the time. If we're if we're talking to our partner or in a coffee shop in the old days, actually, people didn't walk off because they were disgusted. They didn't switch off because they were bored. They listened to us. But under pressure, some of those skills break down. And that's where what I do tends to come into play to maximize the engagement and create impact. I was smiling there, Keith, uh, listening to that. What that took me back to was when I was doing my football coaching badges and that situation where, you know, you're being coached, you're being taught and one of the, you know, whatever the topic was, say, um, bringing the ball under control. And so you do that in increments. So you've got the the proverbial, you know, bruising centre half 10 metres away uh, from you. And that was in days before so-called isolation and distancing. Um, So you've got all that time and you've got all that space to bring the ball on. It's nice and relaxed, you know, and you can put your own style on that. And then you bring the the proverbial centre off a bit closer, a bit closer to the point he's really breathing down your neck and maybe, you know, a little dig here. And you, you are under pressure then. And there's that kind of, whole thing Keith isn't so I had a little smile about that um <laughs> yeah I think that's absolutely right Paul and and, and really what I do because like you I took my coaching badges ages ago and I'm still fortunate enough to do work with the FA now which mm. I'm very proud about and one of the bits that you learn as a sports coach is that if you're introducing a new skill you bring it in in a relaxed environment in a training situation then gradually you put it under pressure but only further down the line do you actually put it into the match situation where suddenly it's going to be completely different so there's no point in trying to teach someone to i don't know curve the ball like beckham on day one and then at lunchtime tell them to go and put it into a match situation in the premier league it's just not going to work you've actually got to build the skill up over a period of time then put it under pressure so the skill is frankly embedded in the individual and then under pressure hopefully it holds up and that's really the way i work when i'm training people it's it's as simple as as that and usually what i try and do is break down the skills into very small chunks so whether it's hand gestures or eye lines or voice or warmth and then gradually put it under pressure so that when the executive or the individual or sometimes the coach goes into having to use that technique in the real world, whatever that might look like going forward, then it doesn't break down. It sustains because the skill has become embedded in the way they operate. Does, depending what the end goal of that intended communication is, Keith, will that determine what approach you use or we use, or is there a kind of one one size fits all? Well, it's a really good question, and it varies depending upon what the outcome is that an individual is trying to achieve. So, for example, this week I was working with quite a big organisation on finessing a pitch for a big account, and that specific bit of training was about max because it was done virtually was maximizing the engagement over the zoom platform but also being really clear on what the outcomes were that the organization was trying to achieve so in that particular situation i wasn't really talking about some of the finer elements of of body language, hand gestures, and so on and so forth, although we were talking about the importance of perception and eye line and posture 
and engagement and by the way paying attention even when it's not you that's talking and that's really important and people often forget that but also it was about in that context more specifically making sure that the the people who were doing the pitch were aligning what they were selling to the requirements frankly of the organization to whom they were pitching so i think one of the one of the ways at that level that i often talk to people is by saying it's no value you telling the people you're talking to how clever you are they know that already otherwise you probably wouldn't have been invited to the pitch mm. telling people how clever you are has virtually zero value when you're actually trying to win business what the people who are going to buy from you want to know by and large is can we create a relationship here and more importantly what do those skills or services mean to me how will it matter to me and i often say to people if you can answer the question this matters because then they're halfway to winning the pitch if they can't answer that question and they revert to telling you about their own knowledge intelligence and skills then actually they're probably not going to win the pitch because they're not developing the relationship so that's at one end at the other end just before the virus visit i was for example doing some work in a school and talking to sixth form i still call them sixth formers the, the people at the end of their secondary school in the uk about body language and skills in terms of being able to walk into a room have confidence just being able to stand up in front of people and talk for a minute or two minutes without sounding like you are stupid to put it bluntly you know erring and appalling body language and apologetic gestures so at one level you're working with individuals who possibly have never had a need for these skills before at the other end you're working with highly professional executives who just need to fine tune them what's amazing paul to me is and i spent as you know my most of my life working in broadcasting before i went into business but what's amazing to me is how often at the higher end executive level they don't reflect upon their performance mm. and consequently drop into bad habits and that can be as simple as uh 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 the number of executives i come across who uh repeatedly and to the point of distraction is quite extraordinary and i sometimes think executives get to a level at which they become so high they become almost untouchable so no one tells them that they are not communicating effectively because of some of the habits they've fallen into and that that can be a challenge sometimes talking in a way which brings people round rather than talking in a way which perhaps embarrasses them you would never want to do that but you do have to bring out attributes and then provide techniques and exercises that change them so so it can be across a broad spectrum of of performances is there a sweet spot in the middle keith that you know a, a golden rule that applies no matter you're a, a chief exec of a multinational or you know a sixth former that this is a golden rule is is there that anything in the middle I think there is actually Paul yeah and I think it's 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 a kind of two-pronged golden rule the first part of it is that people know when they are communicating well and effectively because it's what we do naturally so let me give you an example if I'm in those halcyon days when we used to be able to go out for meals in restaurants if I went out for a meal with my wife 
and we sat down and had a meal, I didn't really need to think about what I was doing. I just communicated naturally. And the consequence of that was that we had free-flowing conversation. We very rarely spoke over each other. We paused at appropriate times. But perhaps most importantly of all, we would look at each other. Our eye line would actually come towards each other naturally and we would be paying attention to each other. That's what you do when you get it right in terms of communication. And that sweet spot for most people is really exactly that. Providing the time, the focus, the attention, and the appropriate body language that demonstrates warmth and a reciprocal attitude. But the problem is, I keep saying this, it breaks down under pressure. And, and warmth and time and engagement is something that very often people just feel is not worth preparing for or is disposable. And typically with senior executives, in my experience, they have quite short attention spans. That's because they're bright and intelligent and they get things really quickly. Problem with that is it means they think they can multitask so they can be as we are now doing an interview, but at the same time, they're answering the phone or doing their emails and they're thinking about other things. Now, the person with whom they are interacting knows that. And that is when the executive is not maximizing their engagement. And let me give you a little example. When I was working alongside the FA on a project with regards to safeguarding, a man called Adam Crozier, you may, you may remember him, was the chief yeah. executive of the FA. He went on to be chief exec of, I think it was the post office and various other organizations as well. And he actually came from a background with Saatchi and Saatchi. And we were presenting an idea to Adam Crozier on, on safeguarding and a brand that we had been developing. And we were actually given... I think it was 15 minutes to explain to Crozier about this aspect. This is going back many, many years ago. I'd not met Crozier before. Mm. So we were shown into his office. Now, Crozier at this stage was the chief exec of the FA, which was fighting battles on many, many fronts. There was Wembley Stadium. There was the Premier League. There was significant financial issues. We walked into Crozier's office and he had a round meeting table in the corner of his room. And myself and a guy called Tony Pickering was shown to that table. Crozier, for the 15 minutes we were with him, had the most perfect body language technique that I've ever seen from anybody, with the single exception of, of a football manager who some of the listeners might have heard of called Brian Clough. And for the 15 minutes we were with Crozier, he made you feel as though you were the only people in the world that mattered. He's attention to us, his eyeline, his engagement verbally, his body language, the questions he asked were absolutely a masterclass in how to interact to perfection. He was brilliant. He approved the work we were doing. He said, I really like this. It matters to me hugely. I value it greatly. Other people look after it most of the way down the line, but I want to see this on a regular basis. 15 minutes was what he'd given us. 15 minutes later, his, his PA knocked on the door and said, Adam, there's a call for you. I suspect it was completely staged because his diary was managed. He shook hands in those days when we could shake hands, thanked us again with great eyeline. We were shown out. We came out feeling like 
a million dollars because he had made us feel important. He'd given us the time, the energy, the engagement. A lot of executives don't do that. The higher up they get, the more they think their time is important. So they do other things at the same time. And the consequence is the people with whom they're interacting feel less valued than they might have been. But as I said at the start, when we don't have to worry about this in social settings, we get it right. We get it right most of the time. And that's the sweet spot. But under pressure, skills break down. And that's where things can go wrong. Just listening to that, Keith, um, really reinforced something that I very powerfully believe in, from, both from a, an experiential point of view and obviously from a research point of view. And you've used the word uh, two or three times already, which is absolutely the right word. And it's around relationships, isn't it? Because, you know, we can have the best techniques in the world. We can, you know, we can read the best books. We can be, you know, have the best research and all this kind of thing. But if we're not connecting with a fellow human being, what's the point? And you've just given a fantastic example there of, you know, of Crozier. And also, and I'm really glad because it was on my kind of list of bullet points, Keith. And, and notice how I'm witnessing how I'm using that word kinder, kinder, kinder. Use it about four times now, which brings in another question is, are we going to be authentic or do we use filler words? But let's park that question for a moment, Keith. I want to pick up on, on you've brought in... Um, the uh, the eminent Brian Clough <laughs> and his charismatic ways, certainly his unique way of just let's say being. Let's keep that wide open because we we just don't know where this could take us. Um, there's a train of thought, Keith, isn't there, around communication, effective, powerful communication is 55% physiology, 38% tonality and 7% words. I mean, I don't know how they can come up with those exact figures. What's your thoughts around that? I did read about that bit of research because it was used, I think it was for an advert for one of the mobile phone companies. And it is a, a highly cited piece of research. But interestingly, if you go back and read the original paper, it, it comes from a specific style of interaction rather than a generalization of everything. Mm. Notwithstanding that, I think it's, it, there is an element, clearly an element of truth in it, in that what we actually say is often less important than the way we say it. And using Brian Clough as an example, what he had was this unbelievable power to motivate, engage, and make you feel, a bit like I was talking about Adam Crozier, that you could do anything for him. Now, Brian Clough was not a saint. I mean, he was hugely flawed. He was an alcoholic and he had significant problems and he could be quite unpleasant to some people. I was fortunate because I never had that. I never experienced that at all. I always got on very well with Brian and, and did a, a, a series after he'd retired where I took him back to meet his former players and, and friends and foes, which was fascinating. But what Brian did have was the ability to engage when he wanted to, let me, let me stress that when he wanted to, to engage people. So they felt unbelievably important. I never played for Brian Clough and I can only imagine what it was like when he was at his peak in the dressing room before you went out to play, because he must have made you feel as if you were part of the best team that had ever existed and you could do 
anything for him. I, I can only imagine how powerful it must be in terms of, of that engagement and that environment. My own experience of him, interviewing him and then working with him when we were making the series and, and meeting him socially a few times, was that he was just about the best, what he wanted to be, just about the best communicator at any level. And let me give you an example. So my wife is not a football fan, but on one occasion I was with Alison and, and we were with Brian and, and one of his friends who was looking after him at that period. And Brian knew that we had two children. He also, I think, knew that my wife was not really a football fan. And to be brutally honest, Brian Clough didn't matter too much to, to Alison in that context. But when he met Alison, he paid total attention to her. The eye contact was immaculate. And his opening words to Alison are, ah, I hear you're Keith's wife. You've got two children, haven't you? I bet one of them's a villain. And he said that with a glint in his eye and immediately Alison was completely enthralled, enchanted, engaged with, with him. And then at another level, at the very end of this television series I was making, I, I took Brian, who had been retired a couple of years by now, to come out of retirement to manage a school team of 10 and 11-year-olds, which was incredible. And as part of the preparation for that, I got the kids to interview Brian. So they, they in the school classroom, they actually were going to ask questions of Brian. And the first hand that went up was this young lad, 10 years old. He was actually captain of the school team, a guy called Aaron. And it was a classic kids question. And he said, Mr. Clough, when we go out there this afternoon to play this game, what should we do? Now, that's a brilliant kid's question, isn't it? It's not about what tactics we're going to employ or how often do we play the long ball. It was just, what should we do? And Brian, and I hadn't prepared him for this in the slightest, let alone that sort of question, but this shows what a natural communicator he was. He got a tennis ball out of his pocket and he said to Aaron, he said, if I throw this tennis ball to you, what are you going to do, Aaron? And, and Aaron said, I'm going to catch it, Mr. Clough. So Brian threw the ball to Aaron Aaron caught it. And then Brian said, what are you going to do with it now, Aaron? And Aaron looks around this class of 10-year-olds and he says, I'm going to throw it to Laura. And Brian says, go on then. So Aaron throws the ball to Laura and Brian says to Laura, what are you going to do with it? And Laura says, um, I'm going to throw it to, to Emily. Go on then. And that happens. And then Brian says, when you get out this afternoon on that football pitch, Aaron, all you do is get that football, look for one of your mates and pass the ball to them and they'll look after it and then they'll pass it to another mate. And if you get near the goal, try and kick it into the goal, but look after that ball and give it to your mates. And that is football. And I thought that was just about the best, simplest and most wonderful description of how football should be that I've ever heard in my life, but it was simple and it was powerful and it completely engaged this group of, of 10 year old children. Brilliant. And when we look at the, the concept, Keith, of mastering the game of life, which is actually a misnomer because I think all we ever do is get closer to the goal. But that listening to that example that you shared around uh, Brian's simplicity, and, and for, for me, Keith, I think life is a very, very, very simple game. But boy, do we as human beings complicate it. But to, to bring in a parallel with that example there, my take upon that is the trick to achieving your goals is work with people and give that metaphoric ball, idea, concept, energy, call it what you will, to somebody that's in a more forward position 
in terms of achieving your goal. So somebody that's a little bit closer to your goal, pass it to them. And I suppose in old language, Keith, that's what we'd call a mentor, a coach, a guide. But have these people around you that have been there. Because isn't it also true that one of the best way we learn is from others' mistakes rather than paying that very, very high price ourselves? Yeah, I think it is. And also from your own mistakes, of course. I mean, there was something the other day I saw that if you want to maximise learning, then you need to fail, was it 40% or 70% of the time in exercises? And then the the the, the learning is maximised. I can't remember the exact figure. But yeah, I think it's true. And one of the problems, you're right, life is simple, but we complicate it. One of the, one of the problems I think that people often have as they start to sort of climb that... That, that, that pole of careers and, and relationships is that they feel threatened. And the consequence of that is that instead of surrounding yourself with people who have talent and who will challenge you, which I think is always a healthy thing, people surround themselves all too often with people who don't threaten you and therefore probably have less talent and don't challenge you. And I think from a, a, a sort of executive structure, it's a, a really flawed strategy to take if you, if you start to resist being challenged or get offended by being challenged. So you're right, a mentor is really useful, but also whatever you do in life, I mean, maybe it's my journalistic background because I was a journalist for many years, but I, I've never found an issue with being asked difficult questions. In fact, I actually think it's a strength when people ask me difficult questions because it means they're actually engaged in what I'm saying. But I know many, many executives who, who <sighs> discourage, get affronted, offended by, by being challenged or asked difficult questions. And to me, that's a weakness rather than a strength. And... I, I do feel that if people listen more, and I think that's another thing that we don't do enough, if people listen more and actually consider why people are asking questions, then you become a better manager. In my view, you become more productive and probably become more successful as well. But that, that's not an easy battle to, to make when people are busy and the higher up the executive ladder you get you you often become busier and actually i, I do some work with with a very good friend of mine in spain actually uh, through through henley business school and one of the bits that john often says is that part of the training skill that he brings is giving people the time and the space to explore and potentially fail in an unthreatening environment so it's challenging but it's not threatening i.e you can make a mistake and no one's going to put you out to dry because of it and i think that's really important often we we remove the opportunity to even think about failure because we have to be so success driven and maybe if anything this this covid19 has given us time to pause for thought and realize that actually we're not so phenomenally clever and immortal that we can solve every problem instantly. Actually, we can't, whether it's PPE equipment or a virus or, or an antidote or whatever, we, we, we can't solve it all straight away. And maybe that will be a useful lesson that we take back into, into the real world, whatever that looks like in the future. Hmm. As we start to, to wind down now, 
Keith towards that metaphoric final whistle. I want to ask you one one really big question, and it's the it is the proverbial silver bullet. How can we learn to communicate more effectively? And I know that is very subjective because you've already brilliantly given the contrasting insights around the proverbial chief exec to the sixth former. And you, and you shared obviously that sweet spot in the middle. So you know, just give us one or two sort of quick, um, you know, quick, quick hits, Keith, on in answering that that massive question. How can we learn to communicate more effectively? Right. Well, there's a short answer and a long answer, and the short answer is one I've kind of given already, which is yeah. actually we get it right most of the time, and it breaks down when we put ourselves under pressure, whether that's a social pressure or a, or a work pressure. In short, uh, what I actually did at the start of this virus, I, I decided for all my clients that I would offer my training for nothing because I could see that cash was going to be an issue and time would be a very different kind of issue. So I recorded a whole series of brief two-minute videos on, on the YouTube channel. I'm sure people can, can, can find it if necessary, where I, I broke down lots of different communication skills into a short video and then gave people 30-second exercises to think about them. And to my amazement, Paul, I've had about 5,000 views of these, of these videos. And what I say in, in, in those videos is people, by and large, get it right most of the time. But when they don't get it right, it breaks down, and that creates a misalignment between what they're trying to say and communicate and what they're actually saying. And as soon as we have that breakdown, then people's trust evaporates and the reality kicks in that people start to question everything that we do. So if we're going to be in the normal world and talking to someone in terms of a, a, a chat in a coffee shop, whatever that might look like in the future, you know what, we're going to get it right most of the time. But when we've got an agenda, when we're under pressure, we start to get it wrong. And there's lots of things we can do, whether it's hand gestures, whether it's eye line, whether it's getting rid of uh, whether it's pausing for effect, whether it's using language more effectively by, by techniques like epistrophe or, or anaphora, you know, different ideas that go back to the Greeks and the Romans and the idea of using oratory in the most effective way. All those can be practiced and embedded and learned. But the one thing that I would say to people, if they really want to communicate effectively, is to actually focus on the person or the people with whom they are communicating and give them time, which means attention, which means actually listening and having your body language aligned so that it looks like you're listening as well. Eye contact, gestures that actually mean to the other person or people that you're giving them time and attention. Because if you get that wrong, you might as well forget everything else. Mm. I'm going to do something now, Keith, that um, I don't think I've ever done it before, actually, but because I know of your vast experience and, and, and I'm going to say talent within communications and media, and that's certainly been my experience in the, you know, the good number of years that um, I've known you, I'm going to ask you to answer a question, and it's going to be a closed answer. And I've never done this before because I don't really like closed questions. So it's a very simple black and white, no explanations, yes or no. And the question, Keith, is this. Do beliefs affect how effective we are as a communicator? Yes. There's a, there's a reason I've asked that, and I'm going to leave it there, the risk of leave, leaving you and listeners hanging. 
Keith, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom, your insights, your experience. How can people reach out and, and find out more about the work that you do, Keith? So two ways, really. I mean, people can, can, can email me, at very simple, keith.daniel, which has two L's at tmgtraining.co.uk or the website, tmgtraining.co.uk or have a look at the YouTube channel, TMG Training. And if it's of use, brilliant. It's all free. I've, I've, I've not, not, not trying to charge anybody for it. But I love hearing from people. So, Paul, thank you for, for having me on as a guest and thank you for your time this morning. Excellent. So there we have it, listeners. As usual, uh, all Keith's details will be in the show notes. And all that remains for me uh, now is, is to sign off by saying, remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www.paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. 